0: Anderson afternoons the podcast hello and thank you for checking out the podcast please rate the podcast please subscribe to the podcast and now the podcast so now I'm gonna stand on the strength of the show look at this revolution under our noses Forget about that Jewish girl this
1: For it, scum! You have a of
0: Get the damn thing stopped before it gets off the ground. That is a little bit of the trailer for the new movie Stand, and the man responsible for it, Winnipeg's it Danny Schur, is here now. Dan, good to see you. Really great to see you too, huh? Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> what was it
2: 05 when this came out as a musical called Strike? Was it 05? Correct. Yeah. And you know, it was actually 04 when we did a little sort of preview presentation outdoors in Old Market Square. You remember that with the horses I do. and stuff? Yes. But it was written in 2003. So it's occupied like a decade and a half of my life yeah and now here we
0: are 2018 in the new year 2019 this will be released in theaters correct and uh tell me i mean there's so much i want to ask you about uh you know to go and people know that you're uh you know a musical genius locally i mean well no you are you you have done so many cool things a lot of other people i think would say ah you know that's a lot I'm uh, but you have bitten off a musical here now you've done it
2: as a movie and just based on the trailer it looks really good are you happy with it uh, I was the most relieved person on the planet when I saw that trailer uh spoke maybe only 4 weeks ago just down the street here at Frank yeah. Digital just yeah, yeah. 509 Century mm-hmm. where we're editing it and I'm telling you you just never know when you're shooting a movie uh, If there's any good stuff, and oh my goodness, uh, I cried like a baby. It's a very, very emotional teaser trailer, and wait till you see the whole movie. It's just, it's quite incredible.
0: Why has this been such a passion project for you? Why has this taken up so many years of your life? I mean, it's like raising a child and sending it It off into the real world.
2: But I point out that even Deadpool took 10 years to make. And the reason it's important to me is I chose Winnipeg. You know, remember back when we were younger, oh, Yes. Y- you just, it was not cool to stay in Winnipeg if you were an artist. You just left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just not the case anymore. Um, I got great stories that I, I won't tell you now about my artist friends, including the star of Stand, who have done stuff all over the world, you know, lived in L.A., lived elsewhere, yeah. and they come back here because of what this place has. So I think this generation, and my daughter's 19, she's first amongst them. they'll say, uh, this is a city where you can do anything. I, I really, really believe that. Uh, coincidentally, and coincides with the Jets coming back because I'm a hockey lout. Yeah. But my point is, I chose to stay here. And people have helped me in a way that you would not believe. Mm. Even in Los Angeles, people have told me, we have no idea how it could be possible that a movie musical like this one could have ever been made in the way it was. And it was made by us, funded by us. It's a story about us that we're saying, we're taking this to the world because it's A worldwide story, both on what history it was originally on, but what it's saying about today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like,
0: as I said, I have so many questions I want to ask you. Uh, I'll geek out a little bit here. (laughs) How
2: do you fund a major motion picture? Oh, man. Uh, Well, when they... You know, when you see on the Academy Awards, there's the uh, award for producer, and they say, for having the vision. Well, being a producer means... Ultimately, the money finding the money, yeah, and no wonder there's an award for it. No wonder it's the last one of the night because it <laughs> like acknowledges that it may be the hardest thing ever. Um, we were creative in uh, some aspects, in that you know, this I keep saying the story is set against the Winnipeg general strike, yeah, but it's not exclusively a story about labor, right? Having said that. Labor across the world helped us by pre-purchasing digital downloads of the movie for the education market. So that was part of the funding. Very cool. Two two years. I've been to Washington 12 times. I know D.C. as well as I know Winnipeg. (laughs) That was one part of it. But that's very creative. That's interesting. Here was something super creative that only in Manitoba is it possible. There is a provincial venture capital tax credit usually for tech companies we applied and are the first movie to have used the venture capital tax credit such that investors who invested a minimum of 10,000 get a 45% tax credit on their Manitoba taxes payable
1: hmm.
2: carry up to 10 years forward that's fantastic that's like yeah. charity to help businesses grow so that's huge and There are, at last count, close to 50 Manitoba investors that uh, together pooled $2.7 million. Mm. So that's both creative, unheard of, and only possible here. Mm. You know, when I tell people that, they're like, that's unbelievable. And then there's the film tax credits. They've been around forever. Some provinces get rid of them and their industry ends. Manitoba
0: is very good on that front, yeah.
2: But they don't have it in Saskatchewan, they don't have it in Nova Scotia, Mm -hmm. but B.C., Ontario, Manitoba, Manitoba has one of the best ones. So it actually pays to make movie here. When we did the shoot this summer, there were seven movies going on because that's how advanced the industry is Mm -hmm. and how appealing the tax credit is. So the film tax credit is literally money in your pocket, you don't want to shoot it somewhere else, Mm -hmm. you know. So between all those three things, uh, that's how we cobbled it together. And cobbled is the word, you know, like it's a tough thing to do. How many days did you shoot this? I would imagine it was a quick shoot, eh? Well, I want to say 99 because it looks like it. It's our little secret, Hal. Don't tell anyone No one's listening. 19 days. Wow. Plus this past Sunday, we had to reshoot like three seconds so on November, what was that, 25th? <laughs> you were we still to, shooting. had to make it look like August 23rd. Uh, our poor star, Marshall Williams, and the three extras that were involved, we'd warm them up, take the jacket off so that they're bare-armed, and it looks like August, and they go out there, and whatever it was, minus 12 with a minus 20 wind chill, Gee. and shoot this little bit. So, you know, really 19 days, but it was yeah. technically 20. Yeah.
0: Talk but, about the stars of the movie, because you got some really talented people
2: here. Cool. So— Right when we got going, I said, we want to appeal to what I call the Glee generation. Roughly, I don't know, 16 to 30, that no Glee was on for, I think, nine seasons? Great show. Yeah, and I think single-handedly rekindled the interest in musicals. But among that generation, we were searching for a male star who was on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, tried a couple, they were unavailable. And uh, after a... Gosh, pretty much three-year search. My colleague, producer Jeff Peeler at Frantic Films here in Winnipeg said, yep. have we ever gone after Marshall Williams? And I apologize to Marshall right now. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And Jeff said, you don't know who Marshall Williams was? Is <laughs> He was on Glee. Yeah, And he's from Winnipeg. I'm like, no way! Wow. And the next day, we called the agent and... When you see the picture, if you go to YouTube, you just search, search stand movie musical, Marshall looks the part. Mm. He's a tough guy that you wouldn't want to take on in yeah. an alley in 1919. Yeah. As a 19-year-old sort of headstrong kid who's proud and quick to throw a fist, um, he really looks like a worker who mm-hmm. would work in these itinerant jobs, they don't have full-time jobs. These, uh, him and his dad, he plays Stefan Sokolowski and his dad is Mike, uh, come from Ukraine. There's no full-time jobs after the war. They're just doing whatever yeah, they can. Right. You line up, maybe you get some work, maybe you don't. So he looks like a guy who'd work in the pump house. And we shot it at the James Street pumping station mm. here uh, in Winnipeg, which is just unbelievably cool. Then playing his father is Greg Henry, I call him Greg 2G's Henry, and uh, (laughs) Greg's been on everything. My God, he was in all the films of Brian De Palma, he was just in Guardians of the Galaxy last year, the Jason Bourne series, he was on Scandal. Um, My God, he's just a great actor, and most importantly, he looks like he could be Marshall's dad. Yeah. He's as Anglo as it comes, and he was so devoted to learning the Ukrainian, and specifically, I told him, the Western Ukrainian accent that people here who are of Ukrainian descent have when they speak English, kind Mm -hmm. of like (laughs) this. It's not Russian. It's very, very much Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. And uh, Took the time to learn that. Took the time. He came, worked with me. My parish priest at Holy Family Church (laughs) recorded himself... Uh, Father John, and we got that to Greg. Greg studied it. And when he opens his mouth, he is Mike Sokolowski, the real guy from Ukrainian Canadian history mm. who was at the center strike. The female lead is Laura Slade Wiggins. I call her Miss Wiggins. Um, and she, her first big role was on Shameless on TV. Yeah. Everyone of this generation goes, Oh, her on Shameless. Mm. Um, and she's going to be in the new Nancy Drew movie, but she's just this little fireball. And I say little, I, I swear she's 5'2". But uh, <laughs> she's just got this uh, edge, and you look at her and you go, I yeah. could see that person being a suffragette in 1919, yeah. just a uh, never-take-no-for-an-answer mm-hmm. kind of attitude. And Laura's just very sweet. She's from... Georgia, and to hear her talk as Laura Slade Wiggins, and then to see her as Rebecca Almazov, she completely transforms into this Ukrainian-accented Jewish immigrant from Ukraine, Yeah, um, and it was pretty inspiring to watch her transformation.
0: I'm really impressed at the talent, and I'm curious to know, when you approach these people, were they, yeah, are they in right away? Do you have to convince them? I mean... I, how, how did you sell them on coming to
2: Winnipeg and, and shooting a movie? Short answer, they read the script, hear the songs, and... They're in. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes an availability thing. They could say, we love it, but mm-hmm. we're not available. Yeah. But, I mean, th- those three, that was like an immediate answer. Yeah. Uh, and a bigger story, possibly, unlike most movies that might have you know 20 in the cast, you might have three Winnipeggers. Well... Laura and Greg are the only non-Canadians. There's another very talented person from Vancouver, Haley Sales, who was in Deadpool. Uh, But everyone else is Winnipegers. Marshall's a Winnipeger. Uh, Lisa Bell, whom you heard sing the song Stand, and the reason the movie is now called Stand, Mm -hmm. is from Winnipeg. Uh, She's going to be a big star. She... Knocked that thing out of the park, and uh, there's not many more talented people yeah. on the planet than her. Paul Assiamber, who plays the bad guy, the leader of the Citizens Committee, everyone is from Winnipeg, and there's no small roles, and Winnipegers get to shine. Like I said, mm-hmm. our story told for the world yeah. is really inspiring.
0: Well, I'll I'll tell you, and we're almost out of time here, and I'm really happy for you, and congratulations again, and I can't wait to see it. But what I like about this is you're bringing it to an audience that might not otherwise hear this story, and I think
2: that's huge. It's 100 years ago. Not many people know the stories of 100 years ago. Right. But what I always say is you don't do period flicks or plays to, you know, just put people in costumes. You're doing it because it's got something to say about today. And, oh, my goodness, we got something to say about today. If you watch the story, Mm -hmm. you forget quickly that it's a period thing, and you're watching today. The Mm -hmm. issues about immigrant rights, about uh, specifically nativism, who gets to say who comes into a country. It's a huge issue. In the United States, the Mexican border. In Europe, uh, as African migrants are attempting to get in, um that's the story mm-hmm. being told here. So it's way, way bigger than the story yeah. of a strike, you know? Do we have a release date quickly or do we know what it's when approximately or? a year from now? What we're shooting for is to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in May, followed by Toronto International Film Festival at uh on September seventh of next year. But I can tell you this: this morning we put a hold this the Labor Day long weekend. We don't know exactly what day, but there'll be a red... Which would
0: be a great weekend for it to be out there, yeah, yeah.
2: Red carpet premiere at the Centennial Concert Hall. Excellent. So, I don't know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But that's, like, hot off the press hell. There you that's. go. I love it. <laughs> so.
0: Danny, congratulations. Thank really, you and go. thank Thanks. you for taking some time. I tried to get you in here when you were in the middle of it, and there was yeah, just no... sorry. There, no, you don't <laughs> have to apologize. I really do appreciate you making time today. And again, you've done a great job and rep- represented Winnipeg and Manitoba well, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I would encourage people to go and see the trailer. It is great. It'll get you fired up. And it's on YouTube. The movie is called Stand Danny Shore, Dominique Smith is here. You are a witch.
1: I am, yes, thank you.
0: And you also identify as pagan. I do. What's the difference?
1: Uh, Well, pagan is an umbrella term, and there's a couple of different definitions that can be uh, kind of you know equated to pagan. you, You. Well, uh, pagan is a kind of, like I said, is an umbrella term that generally in- incorporates uh, earth-based spiritualities. Um, and then uh, the original term was used, uh, you know, uh, as an insult, really, right. uh, which essentially means not one of us. Mm. Uh, so if you weren't uh, essentially people of the book, which are the Abrahamic religions of Christianity, Judaism, or Islam, yeah. you were a pagan, and mm. it meant it essentially meant you were a country bumpkin.
0: <laughs> and I want to mention too that you've got a store. It's called Elemental Witchery and Conjure Boutique. You betcha. It's at 220 Henderson. Mm-hmm. My wife and I love this kind of stuff. Excellent. So we're going to come and see you and check it out. And I appreciate you coming in and, and uh, telling us about uh, it's your religion, right?
1: Absolutely. I it, I it does for me. I identify witchcraft personally as a religion. It do, yeah. it isn't a religion for everyone. Sometimes mm-hmm. people look at just as a practice, um, but certainly. Um, it's my way of life, and it's how I identify myself and relate myself to the rest of the world.
0: And you're a good witch, obviously. Are well, there are there good and bad witches, or is that storybook stuff?
1: Well, I, th- I think that there are always uh, positive and negative people out there, yep. and I don't think a witch... Is defining of either one, but generally speaking, witches are people who are self-aware enough to know that uh, doing terrible things to people are as often going to uh, hurt you more than the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, ident- I, the oftentimes within witchcraft, uh, people identify black magic and and white magic, right. which. Uh, is really a disservice to the craft. There is no black and white magic. And by identifying it like that, it's actually inherently racist hmm. because oftentimes when they talk about white magic, they're talking about European witchcraft. And when they talk about black magic, they're talking about African-based magics like voodoo. And I had like never that. thought
0: of that, but yeah. that is very interesting. Yeah. You're right. That yeah. is probably where that came from.
1: Absolutely. And so we don't identify that. So magic is magic and it doesn't take its form until it's in the hands of the practitioner. So it doesn't have uh, a, sen- a sentience to it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a I'm a good I'm good magic, I'm bad magic. Yeah. It's basically it takes its form in the hands of the practitioner. Mm-hmm. And you
0: basically uh, is it true to say that you worship the land, the air, like it's 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 about that or a part of that, right?
1: Well, I think that I- I think I'll speak on just my own behalf because paganism and and witchcraft is so diverse that no one's really ever going to agree on anything. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, I think I honor the earth and I think I respect it. I don't think I worship anything uh, when it comes to deities and things like that. I kind of look at them as my friends and we have a relationship with each other and it's mutual. So it's not, uh, you know, what I sometimes refer to – um, as like a pinball, like a gumball machines, where you stick in a quarter and you get your, you you get your surprise. Where that's where sometimes in a lot of kind of religious uh, outlooks, people will say, if I pray and I do this thing and I'm a good person, then I'm going to get this thing in exchange. Mm-hmm. And you put in your quarters and you get your gumballs. Yeah. But there's a give and take in the relationships between deities. Often with regards to paganism and with, with witchcraft. And um, essentially, if, if you're working with a deity in any form, whatever they may be, and they're not doing what they said that they're going to do, you move on to somebody else.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. And and
1: just and it's just like if there isn't a give and take like if if you ha- it's just like a regular friendship if you don't have a give and take in, a, in in a relationship and you have one side that's constantly taking and not giving back then it becomes imbalanced and disproportionate and somebody's going to eventually feel uh, a little used.
0: Yeah. A lot of uh the reaction to our last guest Patrick the yeah. atheist, a lot of reaction is uh like I'll just show you the one uh, text message that I got somebody said uh Oh, I don't like it when he uses words like nonsense when talking about prayer. And I said to him, um, it bothers me, whatever floats your boat. That's kind of where I'm at, yep. right? And um, But I don't understand why religions find it, and there are many that are guilty of this, why they find it necessary to try and convince the other person that they're right and that that person and what they believe is wrong.
1: Well, actually, I think it actually comes down to often, and I, and I know I'm somebody who's been subjected to hate crimes over the last eight years because of the kind of work that I do, and and I always, I always kind of look at it as this is actually... Who, anybody who's trying to convince someone else that they're right in their kind of religious outlook are probably not very secure in their own religious outlook, mm. and anything that comes up against them that might actually have them to question their faith or their belief system must be bad because now somehow you're 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 making challenging me by existing like as a witch my existence challenges people's idea of their own spiritual practice right and that is really scary for some people mm-hmm. because there are religions and 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 we can talk about that on a local level that actually discourage people from questing outside of their own religion and learning about other oh, religions oh i know
0: yes oh absolutely yeah. and one of the points of this week is To try and just get educated, not to judge, not to, you know, uh, uh, Patrick was a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. And I have... he is certainly entitled to believe what whatever he believes, and some of the stuff he believes in, I believe in as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I just don't understand. I mean, wars have been fought for centuries over religion. So, I mean, well, this the, is nothing the, new here.
1: Well, this is the thing, though. Is is organized religion is is, is typically political. So if you really want to go back into, like, you know, the history of, you know, let's let's look at Christianity, for example. Because whether we like to admit it or not, we live in a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And each of our, whether we identify uh, as religious or non-religious, as atheist or not, our laws of our government are based on the laws of Christianity. Yeah. And our whole culture and our whole society is based on Christianity. So we can't get away from it. So whether we agree with that particular kind of overculture of Christianity or not... We're we're steeped in it. We have yeah. no choice but to 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 be in it mm. and to acknowledge that it's part of everything. But if we look at what happened and how Christianity became where it is today, it was back in 1400 when uh, uh, Constantine made it law. There were too many people who were infighting about their religions, and he wanted to get everybody on the same page because it's easier to get people who agree to do what he wanted. It was right. a political movement. And it's what I kind of call like um, a religious roulette. At the time, there were so many different religions that it could have been anything mm. that became card- part of this overculture, but it just happened to be the new up-and-coming religion of Christianity. Mm. So in essence, it's it was a political movement and it was used to control people. Yeah. And organized religion often is like that. But I think that people can... Can get away from that. I think that people can, with you know, critical thought and actually looking at the things of you know, looking at things where am I being controlled? Am I being just you know, am I am I being just sold a line? Do they just want my tithes? Mm. Like like what is it? What is it yeah. that they're getting from me? Well, in many
0: in many of us. Uh, uh, are raised in a certain religion right Absolutely. that's where our parents took us and we continue with that and then others break away and go elsewhere i'm curious to know how did you become a witch or or a pagan it, was that was your mom a witch no so, no it, so, it's
1: not a it's it's not a fam, familial kind yeah. of thing but i remember actually i can pinpoint the moment in which i recognized that i was different than the average than the average uh, you know meat sack walking around the streets, <laughs> uh, and, and it was I was 10 years old, and I was sitting on the bus with my mother, and I had what I now know as an epiphany, because 10 years old, I didn't know the word epiphany, and I, I remember saying, you know, Mom, I don't think that there's any such thing as evil in the world. I think just people make poor choices, and my mother looked at me, and she said, my, my, don't you look at the world through rose-colored glasses, and I knew at that moment, I can't talk about this. This Mm. is not what other people are talking about. And I was 10. Mm -hmm. So my journey really started when I was 10 and I started doing my own research and reading and that kind of thing. And really developing my own ideologies that somehow all of a sudden started to fit into this other thing. So there were things that I just figured out. But, oh, by the way, there's millions of other people that are already doing this too. Mm -hmm. So it's not... I did not grow up in a religious household at all. I remember I was a seeker of religion. I used to beg my mother to let me go to church with my friends because I wanted to see what they were doing. So I I did all sorts of research in all sorts of different religions, all sorts of different types of, you know, church Mm -hmm. kind of activities. And I always didn't belong. Yeah.
0: But Dominic, don't you think that's the way it is for a lot of people now? Like a lot of people say, I'm spiritual. Absolutely. And, and people in religion sometimes think that's a cop-out, right? But but I think more now than ever, people do what it seems you did. You, mm-hmm. you just you educate, you figure things out, you go, you take a bit of this and a bit of that, and that's what you are. Maybe it's not a Catholic or whatever, right? It's you're spiritual. Well, you're, you are what you are.
1: Yeah, well, and and I think I think people say spiritual so that they can differentiate themselves from hardcore religious individuals who you know are are, are going to temple or going to church like yeah. every week or multiple times a week, um, and I think that people I think also at the same time. Um, you know, we've been taught for years never talk about politics, never talk about religion, mm-hmm. and I think that's a that's a disservice to the to the society as a yep. whole. I think we need to have these conversations, but I think also at the same time, people say that they're spiritual to let the other person know. By the way,
0: yeah,
1: this kind of uh, rigid religiousness mm. that we have been subjected to for so long. I don't do that. So any kind of conversation you want to have with me is probably going to be a lot safe, Mm -hmm. safer than somebody who identifies as super religious. Yeah, that
0: would certainly be part of it. Hey, we're almost out of time. So quickly, one thing about you being a witch or pagan, one thing that maybe there would be a misconception about that's not true or just tell us something interesting that maybe we might have wrong.
1: Well, realistically, um, witchcraft and and even paganism as a whole, but let's talk about witchcraft. Witchcraft is all about personal responsibility and it's all about about um, doing introspection and figuring out who you are, and then, um, you know, kind of putting that out in, in, into the world in in, in, pro- in mostly positive ways. I think, you know, like I said, there's always yeah, people that are not bad. positive. Yeah, right. uh, but I, I think that this kind of, you know, ideology around the fact that witches are evil is, of course, not correct. I think that a lot of people... Uh, uh, misconstrued and and the reason they do is because they're ignorant of the facts and they don't mm-hmm. know and they haven't met a witch and they haven't so there are a lot of people who are very fearful of it i know i've i've mm-hmm. had my own incidences yeah. with regards to people being very afraid right. of what i do and and it's and it's because of the culture that uh, that mm-hmm. we live in that has said well witches all witches are evil yeah. you know thou shalt not suffer a witch to live right yeah. even though that's actually a misquote of the bible but mm. you know I digress.
0: I'm not afraid of you at all. You seem like a very (laughs) nice person.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and
2: anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.